0: This episode is sponsored by FrontEnd Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript good parts, build web applications with Node.js, AngularJS in-depth, and advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Let's face it, bookkeeping is hard, and it's not really what you're good at anyway. Bench.co is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. Check it out at bench.co/javascript-jabber for 20% off today. They focus on what matters most and that's why they're there. Once again, that's bench.co/javascript-jabber. This episode is sponsored by wrangle.io. Wrangle's been working with Angular 2 for a long time and they are now putting together an 8-hour, 2-day course designed to help Angular developers learn how to write apps in Angular 2. If you're looking to level up your JavaScript and Angular 2 skills, then go to wrangle.io slash training and click on the link for Angular 2 training. If you're looking for other training in React or JavaScript, they also have that available at wrangle.io slash training. Hey, everybody. Uh, we're back. We're doing another one of these build uh, episodes at the build conference. This time we're here with Rob Wormold from the Angular core team. Hi. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> um, have you been on JavaScript Jabber before? You've been on Adventures in Angular a few I've times. I've been on Adventures in Angular. I don't think I've been on
1: JavaScript Jabber directly, now well, Maybe Jabber. we should
0: have you do a quick little intro. You want to tell us about yourself real quick?
1: Yeah. Uh, as you said, I'm Rob Wormald. I work on the Angular core team at Google. I'm the newest, actually the only currently developer advocate, which is something the Angular team has never had before. So I was an Angular dev for... I don't know. Three years before this, and then about a month ago, I joined the I joined Google full time to be the uh, developer advocate.
0: Yeah, I remember us uh, talking about it in the car on the way back to the airport. Yep. in GNL. So and
1: I think at that point was I had I joined or was I still like crossing my fingers at that point? I don't.
0: I think you had been offered the job. Okay. Then, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's was like, about a six-month-long process, I think, to yeah. to get in finally. But
0: so yeah, so um. We're going to be talking about Angular. We've talked about Angular on the show before, so I kind of want to start with a little bit different angle. Okay. And that is that I think, one, people have this idea of, like, big tech companies liking each other and hating each other at the same time. And then the other thing is, is that at least the people I talk to, they tend to think of Angular as kind of this open source JavaScript framework that they use to do their web development. And a lot of people have this older idea of Microsoft where it's, you know, it's this company that, you know, suppresses open source and blah, blah, blah. We're finding out that that's not the case. You know, I've talked to several people over the last year or so that have clearly demonstrated that's not the case. But at the same time, it's like, you know, the philosophies of Microsoft and Google are different. The philosophies between Microsoft and the, and Angular are probably different. So what is it about a Microsoft conference or a group of Microsoft developers that has an appeal for Angular especially going forward, beyond... I, I mean, I can see Angular being built uh, on the front end of a web app built on the back end with ASP.NET or something. Sure. I, is there more to it than that, or...? I think I think probably we're here for a couple of reasons, and I think the first is that
1: we, as I said, like, we work really closely with TypeScript, you know, right. the Microsoft project, and for us, it's... This is I, I, So let me say, like, if you'd asked me a year ago, are you going to be at a Microsoft conference like representing Google, I would have been like, you're a crazy person, right? There's no yeah. way I would, I, know where I would be here. And so I think that shows probably, like A, that I've had a lot of change in the past year of my life, but also that both Microsoft and probably Angular... You know, I, I can't speak for Google as a whole, but I can for Angular, I guess I can. Mm-hmm. And I think that everything's, everything's in this really big upheaval in JavaScript, right? Where we've got modules yeah. and ES6, and there's a lot of change, I think. And I think that probably us being here is indicative of that change, right? And right. us using TypeScript is indicative of that change. And, and Microsoft, you know, being big on open source is indicative of that change, right? Mm-hmm. I think that I think that probably the theme here is, is change and new and beginnings of things, right? So I guess we're here because it's really cool for us to see probably a group that we don't talk to very much, right? Like we, we know that there are a lot of Angular developers and we know that there are a lot of enterprise companies building Angular developers, but we don't tend to show up at, at enterprise Microsoft conferences, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's good for us because, you know, as we're getting closer to our release, it's good for us to see how people are planning on using it and the kind of questions that people get, right? right. We've been asked a lot of really interesting questions today, things that we hadn't maybe considered. Um, and so it's good to get a different perspective for sure.
0: Yeah. You mentioned getting close to the release. When is Angular 2 coming out? But d- wondered how
1: long that was going to take. So uh, very soon is is the most I can say without getting fired, even even on a podcast. I would say that the best thing we can tell you is that we are burning down our final list of issues. So we have our, our what we need to have for release candidate. Mm -hmm. And that's public on GitHub, and you can track that and watch that go down. But very soon, I would say. Um, And totally lots of people today asked us if it was a good time to start using it. And I think that that's a yes. It's a very good time to start using it now. The APIs are mostly stable. We're trying to not break anything over this beta period. So, yeah, it would be a good time to play with it. And I think by the time you're comfortable and ready and, and up and running, we'll be good to go.
0: I was hoping to trip you up there. Sorry. The next week. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I've done that to Igor. I've done that to Mishko. I've done it to Brad about six times. Yep,
1: it's. Uh, I've been asked that question. I've been playing practice on that question today. So. I'm sure. I'm
0: sure. <laughs> so we've had Angular folks on the show before, but we haven't for quite a while. Do you want to just give a brief overview of what Angular is, what it's about? Sure. So uh, Angular
1: Angular conceptually has, is a framework for building JavaScript applications. So um, we started with Angular 1 and I guess that's been around for sort of six years or so now. And a uh, year and a half, two years ago, we started rewriting kind of from scratch Angular 2. And we're now just uh, arriving at kind of the, the end of that process. And, yeah, it's a set of tools for building rich web client applications. And Angular 1 was web applications. And I think Angular 2, we'd like to say that it's a platform for building applications generally.
0: Right. I may or may not have submitted conference talks saying... Uh, I want to build an Apple TV app with Angular and TypeScript.
1: We've—I've seen that. That's a—that is a thing. That's kind of the stuff that we're super excited about. Like, right? Yeah. Web apps are awesome, but what else would people do with this? It's yeah, and
0: you know, I've seen the the mobile apps with Ionic and with TypeScript or, or NativeScript, and that's exciting. Yep. But you know, where it goes beyond that to the TV, and you know, people are talking about doing other things on like with IoT. With Angular. Um, ang- the, Angular Angular on things. Yeah, that will be, be cool. I haven't seen it yet. The Angular of things. But I've heard people talking about some concepts behind it. And, and yeah, it's a really fascinating way of thinking about some of those problems.
1: Yeah, I think for us that's a really big deal is, is platform, right? And that we want to give you this kind of core layer and make it really extensible to do all kinds of really, really incredible, interesting things on it. And we're definitely very excited to see where that goes
0: for sure. Nice. So Angular 2 is coming out. Yep. A lot of people have been using Angular 1, and they're yep. thinking, okay, you know, do I make a transition? Uh, other folks maybe have moved on to React or something sure. like that, and now that Angular 2's looking like it's going to come out soon. Soon. Not next week, but soon. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're thinking, okay, well, do I go back? Mm-hmm. So, so how do people make a determination that Angular is the right tool for them?
1: That's a good question. I think that the first thing that I should say to everybody is that you should just try it, right? And so if, you, right. if you're an Angular 1 developer, right, I think that Max Lynch, who, who runs Ionic, right, uh-huh. he wrote a really good blog post a couple of weeks ago, and he said something to the extent of, like, if you've used Angular 1 before, Angular 2 is the same. And so kind of, like, everything has changed, but nothing has changed, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, if you use Angular 1 today and you understand how to write applications with Angular 1, then you will be immediately comfortable in Angular 2. If you use something like React, I think that a lot of the stuff that you really like from React, things like one-way data flow and Redux and all of these these things that are sort of been born of the React side of the table, right? All that stuff applies in Angular 2, right? All that stuff is all that kind of stuff is very much kind of first class citizens in Angular 2. And so I think that there's probably there's stuff for both Angular 1 developers and you know React developers. And I think part of the reason we're here at Build is that there's stuff for people who may not have ever considered doing single-page applications before, right? You know, people who've done, who've done ASP.NET backend websites forever and are used to having types and IntelliSense and all this stuff, right? right. So there's, you know, there's the, the sort of existing JavaScript community, which obviously is incredibly important to us. And, you know, if, if you've gone to React, then we'd love to have you back. But, like, I don't, I don't think I'm here to, to sell you that, right? Like, I think that if you like React and there are reasons you like React, a lot of those apply in Angular, and I'd love you to try it out. But also, like, if you've never done single-page application development, if you've never built a web app, right? Like, we want to make that equally easy, easy as well, I think. So, yeah, it's for us, It's there's a lot of different audiences. Like, there'd be a lot of different platforms, right? And I think it's right. important for us to, to enable all that different stuff. Yep. Is that an evasion of your question, do you think? No, or?
0: no I think it's fair. And, and I think it really does come down to try it and see if yeah. it fits. It's, it's something
1: that, you know, it's like you talk about React, and I think that for, for a lot of people it's, it's a very simple discussion of, like, do you like templates or do you like JSX, right? And I think that that's, that's not something that you're right or wrong on, right? Like I think that we, we like templates and that that's why we use them. Um, and I think that for a lot of people that are new to JavaScript and writing web apps, I think templating and HTML are something they're very comfortable with. That's how we feel. But it may not be right for everybody. And I don't think that if, if templating is not something you like, then we may not be the right thing for you. And I think that's okay.
0: Yeah, I I think really what it comes down to is that Ember, Angular, React, Knockout. Yep. I mean, you you name any of these that are even moderately complex. You know, Aurelia, they all have certain ways they think about things. They think about data differently. They think about interactions in the DOM differently. They think about the way that you write your code differently. They think about the way you organize the thoughts that you put into the code differently. Yep. And so since all of them have a different paradigm to them and then... Each developer or team of developers thinks about their problems differently and finally different applications have different shape of data, a different shape of problem, and so you're looking for something that has the best synergy between them. Sure. Those.
1: I think it's a good that's and a good way to say it.
0: So it's funny because yeah, I mean I like I like pushing the uh, JavaScript framework, you know, I troll on that a bit. <laughs> the JavaScript, uh, you know. the framework
1: wars. Yeah,
0: and you know, it's the same thing with like the editor wars. You know, I push that button a lot. You know, <laughs> you know, occasionally I'll tell people that there are two types of people in the world: those that use Emacs and sad people. I but, push you know, them. But the, the reality right. is, is if you get real work done with something else, then great. You yeah. know, and and I think that's really what it comes down to. And it's it's actually been rather refreshing to see that Ember and Angular and React generally, the the core teams, the the people involved, I mean, even people who in the political arena would be surrogates, you know, throwing the stones, instead of doing that, all these people are saying, well, yeah, there are great things that they offer, too and you know here are some of the trade offs that we see
1: sure and uh, you know i think the thing is that we're all trying to fix the same set of problems yeah right like we all we all work in this environment which is very much the wild west mm-hmm. right the browser is is a scary environment to write code in sometimes yeah so i think we're all we're all kind of in the same world and so we all just, we're all solving the same problems and it just we all kind of come to slightly different solutions about it but
0: yeah and i think the other thing is is that we're all working generally for the same kind of web that we want to work in. Yeah, I think so. You know, so it, it's not just the, what are what are the current problems that need to be solved, but it's also, you know, looking forward and, you know, how can we best set ourselves up for the best thing that we can have later Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, sure, there are some things that Ember developers probably care about more than Angular developers, and same with React. But for the most part, we want to see the web advance in very similar ways, you know, where we have better tools, you know, we have better language constructs, you know, that we're hopefully getting from the new specs on JavaScript. Yep. And by pushing these things forward with the frameworks and tools that we use, we sort of get to vote on the things that matter to us, and that informs TC 39 and some of these other groups to make good decisions. For sure. Yep. I think that, uh, so
1: like service workers are a really good example of that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that service workers are probably the most important thing that's happened to the web in a while right mm-hmm. and i think that like so the angular team we're really big on that one of the things that my team is focusing on is is this idea of progressive web apps and doing offline and things like that right. i think for us as you said like we we want to give you the tools to do that kind of stuff and then Effectively, we want people to vote with their apps, right? That yeah. you know, it's not in Safari yet, but we would love it if Angular developers could have the tools to build offline apps and uh-huh. and you know, sort of encourage Safari and the, and the WebKit team to do that sort of stuff, right? And so, yeah, I think that and I, I think that uh, React is probably the same, and I think Ember is probably the same, right? Like we are all in this same environment of where we need these new tools, these new APIs, and uh, the more that we can make that sort of available to people, I think the faster that stuff will come for sure. Yeah.
0: Now, we were getting ready to sit down and have this discussion. And uh, somebody I know said something about, are you going to go back to real JavaScript because you moved to TypeScript? <laughs> um, AJ, do you have some concerns about the direction there with Angular?
2: So I was actually looking on the website for Angular 2, so I wouldn't sound stupid. And it looks like there's three tutorials. There's Angular for TypeScript, Angular for Dart, and Angular for JavaScript. True. So, I mean... I. Flat out, my concern is just, I think that ES6 is going to flop. I think it's going to be just like ES4. It's too complicated. There's too much crap. They're trying to incorporate Ruby and Java and C Sharp in every language into JavaScript, and that's retarded, and it's not going to work out, right? Like, no browser's actually going to implement every language feature from every language in JavaScript. So you're saying so ES6 stands for every script? <laughs> yeah, right? Um, Everything and I, and I don't And like, I don't like build tools. I, I mean, like, I am always in the mind of a high schooler and that will never change.
1: <laughs> right? Okay, so here's the thing. We actually this this discussion. We we talk about this like every single day in the in the office, right? And Good. so ES6. Now I want to come hang out at your office. And ES6, hear this. right? Like so, we just talk about build tools all the time. So ES6, right? ES6, I think, is in my opinion is the best thing that could have possibly happened to JavaScript, and I'll defend that assertion for you, right? So the first is that modules, right? We've had this idea of modules for had a long lots time of ideas of modules. There's been lots of ideas of, mo- you know, we've got CommonJS, and we've got require and Angular had their own module like we've had a whole and, bunch and of and modules so it's and,
2: good that we just make yet another one that's not backwards compatible and that can't be implemented with any sort of shim.
1: But, yeah, but it's the standard. But it's the standard. It is that's the thing is that you can call the other things like kind of standards, right? Like in okay, common js is like the standard in node, right? But none of them have ever been the standard But now, you know
2: what? But I can use those and I can hit refresh in my browser and it'll work. I can't do that with es6 yet.
1: And that's the difference, right? It's like I think that a lot of people and this is this is something that comes up for us, right? Like we're writing a framework that is for the next ten years of JavaScript. Right? And I think that Which we don't know what it's gonna be like because the next ten years. But we do know anyway. we do know that we have a module specification, right? And so for us, rather than inventing our own modules again, but we also we had
2: observables that. and then they realized, oh wait, that's really dumb and they got rid of it.
1: No, not true. Not true. I have to clear this I have to call you on this one. Sorry. Call me on it. So <laughs> what disappeared was object.observe. And if you like, that's like Angular. When we started looking at Angular 2, object out observe was a thing that we looked at, right? And an object out observe is like you mutate an object and it'll tell you it got mutated, right? That is dead and gone, right? Angular 2, we use observables, which are totally different. And that's I'm going to plug Microsoft again, right? Like some Microsoft idea, reactive extensions, mm-hmm. reactive programming, right? Microsoft. But the thing is that like we wouldn't have known that object out was a bad idea unless somebody tried it and used it, right? And Angular is like, we, we almost like mocked object It observed, if you like. Like we polyfilled it to a point, right? Like that was, this idea of mutability is an Angular thing. It's always been that way in Angular. And we've learned that it's probably not the best way to do things, right? And so unless, unless these things are implemented and tried and used, we don't know,
2: right? And so... Well, and my argument is that we should do that process before we standardize it and say... But I think we did. I think that ES6 modules, inc- like I'm, I'm picking on modules,
1: right? Like they incorporate the best learnings from what we know, right? Like they incorporate a lot of the the stuff from CommonJS modules, but they're asynchronous, like RequireJS modules, right? And this idea, and like build tools, right? Like build tools. This is the thing. Is like Angular 2, People are like, it's really complicated, and I think that. What's actually complicated is everything but Angular too, right? And that I agree with you with, right? Like, it's, we're in a different world where you have to invent a build tool, and if you want to do a thing, you've got to, like, set up a build tool and install NPM, and there's, like, 12 steps, right? And There's, there's a 12-step program. There's a 12-step program, right, <laughs> to, to use JavaScript today. <laughs> um, How to
2: become an addict. <laughs> but, like, uh,
1: that stuff... That a lot of that, and like module bundling is a big one, right? Like we we talk about this at work all the time. That we would uh, we would love if we never had to bot- if you had never had to bundle your code, right? And you shouldn't have to. And so stuff like the module loader specification, which. This is the problem. We see have modules, and that spec before we have a specification with which to load those modules. Well, and now we have HTTP two, or we
2: had that before. But like the whole idea that in theory you won't have to bundle modules because browsers will implement HTTP two before they'll implement ES six, and so you don't need to bundle modules because HTTP two will say, "Oh, here's the resource that you need," and it'll get it with all the push and all the efficiency without having to have the build step mm-hmm. on the developer end.
0: Yeah, but we know that people don't upgrade their browsers or other tools until they have to anyway. Well, this is
2: the, this so the browsers,
1: though, that's the thing, though, right? Like, that this idea of evergreen browsers, I think, is finally what lets us think like this. Yeah, right? I mean, like, like yeah. there is
2: no Internet Explorer anymore. Now there's Microsoft Edge, which is evergreen. Evergreen, yeah. So the only browsers that exist, aside from on the Wii and maybe, like, the <laughs> PlayStation 3... <laughs> Angular two for Wii. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, my wife bought me in a Wii U last month, but that's beside the point. Well, that's we'll write your that, render. That's that. another that's one of my concerns too. Actually, is like I would like things to run on the Wii U. It has a browser. It may not be the best browser. I haven't tested on it, but it'd be cool if I wrote something and it happened to work on that. I can I'm tell you that, that I can tell you that Wii. Angular
1: two runs in the Tesla browser. I tested that with uh, Misco's Tesla yesterday. That works. So that's good. That's good. That's covered. We've got that. We've got that oh, covered.
2: Good. Well, if you're going to spend that much money on a coin, better have a good browser. I was going to say, if you're going to spend that much money on a computer. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway,
0: so I think we've gotten a little bit off track. That happens. Yeah.
2: What I want to know is, is the... Yeah, what was the question again?
0: Yeah, because... We were talking about whether or not TypeScript was a good idea for oh, yeah. too.
2: Well, that, not just TypeScript, but it says Angular for JavaScript on the website. Uh-huh. Is that JavaScript that runs in browsers, or is that yeah. still, like, I have to compile, build, stuff, no, blah, so blah, blah, blah? No, w- so this actually, this is, a bit of
1: con- this is a bit of controversy here, right? So Yeah, ES2015. Our, our docs, those three flavors you mentioned, are TypeScript slash ES6, if you like, right? Yeah, so that's I, modules. I don't
2: know the difference between TypeScript and ES6 is, but I think of it Types. as, like, TypeScript ES6 with annotation. T- yes. Absolutely right. Yeah. Yep. So, so our, our docs TypeScript? are... Yeah.
0: TypeScript is basically a superset of ES6. Yeah. It's, it's ES6 plus some annotations. Yeah. ES
2: 2018, whatever. Sure. Came a little early.
1: ES 11. So yeah, our docs are uh, TypeScript slash ES6, if you like, Dart, and ES5 runs in a browser, no build tool necessary, is the other. So yeah, Angular 2 for JavaScript. You could absolutely just drop in a script tag and start writing code and it would work. So what is the ES6 shim.js? Uh, ESXSIM.JS required to use that is probably probably something like Array dot includes or Map perhaps one of the primitives.
2: Okay, so like really normal stuff that yeah not could be not an like ES5. not not
1: structure- so stuff that can be polyfilled. I guess. Okay. Is a good way. And I think that most people would agree that like Array includes is better than like index of. Right? Yeah, I, like- I
2: have no. I I could say we could just call that ES five point two. <laughs>
1: I'm good at that. Let's do that.
0: ES5 plus plus.
2: Yeah. 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 Just normal JavaScript with the
1: things that we need. And so yeah, like we we definitely want to make sure that you can do ES5 Angular with no with no drama, right? And Excellent. we we spent a lot of time doing that. We definitely think that the TypeScript experience is better. And I will I will like objectively say that it is nicer to look at as a TypeScript thing, right? Much. There is there is more, more boilerplate, to say, like to use an ES5. But that's just because TypeScript gives us some of this extra annotation stuff we can leverage, right? But there is nothing that would prevent you from using it in
0: ES5. Yeah, okay, I'm, well, I'm that, really, that really excited about Angular 2. And I will admit that I'm less excited about TypeScript. Sure. But part of the reason that I'm using it is because I've seen and then had the chance to work with some that the way that Angular 2 takes advantage of the way that TypeScript Allows you to do things, and it cleans a ton of stuff up. Nice big difference, And, and that's that's where I'm like, oh, okay. And there's you know, there's get, visually
1: and there's like the other big thing for me and I show this people all the time is like discoverability right so mm-hmm. this new framework you don't know anything about and it's got APIs and stuff you don't understand at all and just JavaScript right like there's a whole there's a huge kind of library of stuff in JavaScript and being able to just start writing code and it to suggest to you this is what you want or hey this is probably not right is a big deal for me right like just the ability to say like this code's not going to run if you run it right now mm-hmm. the code knows that right and that that's a big deal for me especially in a team of people or when you're when you're devving by yourself even. Knowing when your code isn't going to run, when, knowing when your code is right before you execute it, right, is a big deal. And I think that that's something that any programmer in any other language is totally used to, right? Like it's not going to compile. Yeah. And I think that that's that's a big deal for JavaScript, right? I think that makes people a lot more efficient. And but I agree that there's overhead, and you know, people don't have to be excited about it. And I I wasn't excited about it a year well, ago. I, I would have been. Honestly, I wouldn't use it. Honestly, I but.
2: love the idea of like if there was an annotation type. Thing that was standardized, <laughs> like uh, like what Google used to have. What, what was there? <laughs> a- At scripts, ad scripts. No, 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 no. Um, it wasn't. Oh, closure. That. Closure. Yeah, like the closure compiler. If something like that had been standardized, I'd be all for it because then you're you'd get that all the benefit in your code editor and everything, but your browser wouldn't be affected. You could just write code and it would work. Do you want to hear something funny? Yeah. So we have it. We have tools inside of Angular. That are
1: publicly available that will take your TypeScript code and make it closure initable and vice versa. Because everybody in Google uses uses closure, right? It's a, like that's how JavaScript at, at Google gets done is closure. And TypeScript obviously is not that yet, and we would like that maybe one day. But at the moment, like we, we have this ability now to make type like write code in TypeScript as we do, and then effectively make it understandable to closure so that we can pass it through closure later down the pipe. But yeah, I mean, I, I totally get, and this is a common point of contention, right? Like. Closure is metadata, not code, right? Like, right. It's, it falls away, doesn't interfere with your code, if you like. And I have this totally legit argument, right? Like, I don't, I don't have any disagreement with that. I think that the thing that makes me feel okay about TypeScript as opposed to, say, like, CoffeeScript, right, or, or Dart, for that matter, like, if you take your TypeScript and you're like, I never want to use TypeScript again, right, and you, you say, let's just transpile it to ES6 and strip away the types. It's Could you transpile to ES5? Yes. Okay. And it would probably be better at ES5 than you would write by yourself. Like, that's, that's the really neat thing about seeing it, right? As the output from TypeScript's compiler, transpiler, compiler, is probably cleaner JavaScript than I've ever written in my life. So it's like, if you really, you use it, and you're like, ah, and everyone uses this again, you just run it through once and commit that, and off you go, right? Like, it's, it's not... Like if you've seen the out the output from CoffeeScript, it's different, right? It's the output from Dart is very different, right? It's really very much like this thin layer on top that can kind of fall away as you like. So, and that's I think that's that's the the way we'll head one day. I, and I hope that you know, <laughs> ES twenty nineteen, ES twenty forty, we have types, right? That would be cool. And they I would hope they look something like TypeScript. But there's a risk there. Though I agree that there's some like using stuff that's not exactly standard is, is one thing, right? But I think that in the world of build tools that you hate, compiling is normal, right? Like, I, I think that that's the new normal is compiling. And so compiling, if you're going to use compiling, you're going you're to use a tool. You might as well get the benefits of TypeScript. That's sort of how I feel about it.
0: That's interesting. So one other thing that I keep getting asked, and I mean, I've told people some things, but I don't know if I have a terrific answer for this other than that I like it better, but I've had several people ask me, so if Angular 1 was so good, why did we need an Angular 2?
2: Oh, we needed it.
0: And, I mean, there's definitely some boilerplate that was there, and there were some things that just kind of needed to be rearranged a little bit so that it was cleaner sure, and made life better, but, you know, I don't know if that's a complete or a very good answer for why we needed an Angular 2.
1: I think there's two, maybe two reasons that I would say. The first is that, like, Angular 1 was invented... In a, in a time, in a place, where we didn't have modern JavaScript, right? So going back to modules, right? Like, the reason that Angular has modules, Angular 1 has angular.modules, because there was no such thing as a JavaScript right. module. There wasn't even JS, right? Like, there wasn't a thing when that started. And so, like, it's this idea of, you know, we, we want to make sure that for the next 5, 10 years, whatever you're doing, right, is, is like, compatible with the future. And if mm-hmm. you had to angular.module everything, it's yeah. not going to work, right? So well, and
2: there was the whole namespace conflicts that... I mean, it yeah. plagues the community of Angular 1 right now. Yes, absolutely. And I think part two is that like,
1: that lessons learned on things like change detection and two-way mm-hmm. bindings and stuff like this, right, that I think works to a point and is, is like, you know, it's, um, tons of applications are built this way and tons of applications can still be built this way, but I think that it, to a point it is a limiting factor, right? Like there's a hard limit to how many watchers you can have right. in an Angular app, right? I think that Angular 2 tries to kind of embrace the same semantics, if you like, and go past some of those limitations, right? So, like, we have two-way, two-way data binding in Angular 2, right, that is not the same two-way data binding. It looks the same, it kind of works the same, but it gets around some of the performance problems. And it's, it's really, like, six years of learning, right? If you have a huge amount of people who have this, this legacy code base, and uh, not legacy, but, like, existing code base, right, like, we can't just change Angular 1.7 and drop modules, right? Like, it doesn't work. So you have to kind of make this this jump, this clean break, if you like, right? And I think it's like, I, I, think, I don't think we could have made such an improvement if we had tried to do Angular 1.5, 1.6, 1.7, and kind of slowly evolve this, right? I just, I just don't think that that's possible. So you, you kind of make this big jump and try to leap forward five more years, right? And I think that that's uh-huh. kind of what Angular 2 is about, is making this, this leap again. And I, I think that having to maintain Angular 1 semantics and do that would not have been possible.
0: Right. So where where do we go from here? You know, Angular 2 comes out of beta. Things start moving forward from there. I mean, is there an Angular 3 that's going to happen, or...? You know where where there are more things that they want. You know the the Angular team wants to add. So or does it kind of become an evergreen framework like we're talking about? So
1: that, that's a couple. There's a couple. Of, that's a really good thing to say. So the this idea of like evergreen browsers, right? Like one of the reasons we really like TypeScript is because we have type information now, right? We would like that if we. If we make a change in Angular 2.1, right, we would like to be able to give you a tool that automatically refactors your code. Because we can understand your code and where you're plugging into Angular and where you're using Angular, right. we can refactor that for you, send you a patch if uh-huh. you like, right? So that's one, one kind of thing we'd like to do. The other is that what we talk about as Angular 2 today is really like Angular 2 core, right? Like this right. space layer of the framework. And if you remember, in Angular 1, like they built the thing and then they broke it apart. Uh-huh. And we're kind of doing it the opposite way where we're like, we're building the thing... And then we're going to start building more stuff, right? So I work on the mobile team, and we're going to build, like, a progressive web app framework. And we've got Angular Universal, and there's a huge amount of data stuff to be done, right? So it's, like, we want to get this core really solid, and that's why that's taken some time, right? And then it kind of releases our team and open source teams, right, people out in the community to do the really incredible stuff kind of that Mm -hmm. happens on top. So... I think our team will, will very much go into building awesome stuff on top of Angular 2 as we move forward past release, right? Um, and yeah, that I think that evergreen, like, we would like to keep it as an evergreen framework. I think that's a, a really good way to describe it. So I'll try to take that back to the office and, and write that down as a, as a quote. So.
2: so generally, in the open source world, there's semantic versioning. Yep. Where if it's a major version number, you can expect it to break. Yep. If it's a minor or a patch, you can expect it not to break. And mm-hmm. Angular has not to date really followed that it's kind of gone with a philosophy that's also good but sometimes a little frustrating that the major version number is like the philosophy behind the code (laughs) the minor version number means anything can still happen and the patch version means if you cross your fingers and sprinkle fairy dust it's probably going to be fine
0: yeah the patch version to me says if anything if you were relying on something that is classified as a bug that's going to change. But really, in, you know, if, if you're using it the way that it should be used, you should just be fixing bugs at patch level.
2: Yep. Right. So I, I think the, way, the classification for that version sc- s- scheme is called fervor or fear-based versioning. <laughs> and this is, a, this is a thing. So is Angular 2 going to keep with the fervor system or is it going to move to the Semver system?
1: That's a good question. I would like to see it go to Semver. That's not my decision. But I, we've certainly discussed it, and I think that that again, like this break point that we're having, right? This like clean break, kind of, if you like. I think that, that would be a really good place to do it, and I will certainly bring that back to the team, as I have said to them before. It would be really cool to be on Sever, right? I think that that would be a really good idea. The other thing is that like we've never really like lived on npm before, right? Like Angular two didn't go, or Angular one didn't go into npm till later in its life. And npm is really big on Semver, right? Like the npm community and all that is—it's very much an npm thing. And so I think that as we now live on npm and we our first distribution distribution point is now npm, and it wasn't before we were bower before. I think that npm uh, Semver makes a lot more sense for us there. So yeah, I would I would like to say yes, and I will and you know, I mean, advocate like- as
2: such. Chrome is at version forty-three, and and it hasn't had any breaking changes in terms of its <laughs> <laughs> the way I use it, right? Like no, that's cl- true. That's I still true. type in the URL bar. That's all I needed <laughs> for it to be yeah. backwards compatible. So, and if you, you, know, you really
0: do run into something funky, you close it and you open it again, and you get the updated version.
2: Yeah,
1: so and I think we would we would very much like to move to. I mean, right now in beta, we're doing weekly releases, right? Like, we are very rapidly iterating. I think we'd we'd like to continue that, maybe not quite one release per week, right? But, like, the minor scheme, I think we'd like to continue much, much more rapidly. And the sort of, that minor version number rev on a much more kind of normal schedule for people. That's something that I think that inside of Google we'll, we'll be talking about, right? Like how do we how do we run Angular 2 inside of Google? And that will probably translate pretty well to the outside. Because Google internal teams have the same concerns about Stability and rev cycles, and how often is it going to update as the rest of the world does? Right, so.
2: so that'd be going back to Chuck's idea of the evergreen framework. I'm wondering how you'd get like automatic security updates and, and that kind of thing. That'd be that'd be pretty interesting to try. And I think yeah, with like true. with tiny yeah. little
1: changes, right? Like an, yeah. I think that's possible, right? Like tiny little little patch versions. Yeah, so yeah I think that you do that's have doable. To
0: communicate though the changes and uh, version numbers is a good way to do it, or at least it's a well understood way to do it. If it's yeah. not a good way to do it, but it's an interesting idea. The thing is is that for me the idea of an evergreen framework is that you know we're just going to continue to push Angular 2 along and we've done it in such a way that as the web advances we can advance the framework without yep. actually having to rewrite it. And I don't know if that's possible. I think we'd like it to be. But, I think that that's uh, yeah, a, I think a, a lot of people would like it to be.
1: I think that's a it's a good way to think about it. And this like Angular being, Englishly being very much like a assembly of pieces brought together by DI. Uh-huh. I think makes that really a very it gives possible thing. A lot thing. of
0: room to move. Yeah,
1: the fact that we can like run on the server and, or a native or whatever, right? Like, is indicative yeah. to me that like uh-huh. the shell can be assembled out of many different parts. We could mix and match parts quite nicely, right? So. Yeah.
0: But to AJ's point, and I think that's an interesting idea, is how do you get security updates and stuff? Well I mean, well, where you're at where we're at right now, you still have to either download or change your reference to point to a new version of the library. Well I'm so it it would be interesting though to see something where it actually did have some kind of automatic updating you know, and, and then... It's
1: the kind of thing we'd like our CLI to do, right? Like, be able to tell you, hey, there's yeah. a new version of Angular. Well, here's what's going to break. Here's what we can fix for you, and here's what you would need to fix manually.
0: Imagine... Yeah, here's, here's why it's dangerous. Here's what's out yeah. of date.
2: Imagine that you had this CDN-type system that, you know, like you're using now, and you did, like, uh, you know, Angular-2.0, and as long as there's a guarantee that nothing breaks it'll feed you 2.0 or 2.1 or 2.2 or 2.3, but then it hits 2.5 and you realize, like, oh, crap, we got to fix this thing, and it actually breaks something, but we've got to fix it. You'd have to go in and manually do, like, 2.5, mm-hmm. and then it would give you 2.6, 2.7, 2.8 until...
0: Yeah, but the other issue you have is you have these long-lived apps that nobody's really working on anymore.
2: Well, that's why I'm saying, like, if something it would actually break, then like you'd have to go in and manually specify it. But if it doesn't break anything. Yeah. And that's, that's the kind of thing that we can, why we're super excited about TypeScript,
1: right? Right. And that's like this is one of the practical benefits of why you would choose TypeScript but not ES5 right is that we can understand your code much better and so our tooling like our command line thing that we're building right has a, a lot of these ideas have come up right like automatic updates and security stuff and being able to diff code and send you patches and all this right like that is implicit in us understanding your code we can say it's probably not going to break anything but if you have use a private API or whatever like we can only recommend that right mm-hmm. and the but if we can look at your code and understand the types that you're using and where you use them and if you're using private private APIs and our tooling can understand that and that's what we get from TypeScript, then I think that's a real feasible possibility, right? And that's, yeah. if you like one, why one reason to use TypeScript's Angular over Angular for JavaScript, that would be it for me. It's like, not just that stuff, but the understanding that tooling gets of your code, I think, opens up a lot of really powerful stuff, right? Stuff that we've never had in JavaScript before. Yeah.
0: I, I think I think the point that I'm trying to make, though, is is that in order to update to a new version of Angular or anything else, you still either have to update your script tag on your page, yes, or you have to update the file that
1: it's pointing to. On but the it would be nice if that would be something you could do, like, while you had your morning coffee, right? Like, on a Monday, yeah. Yeah. as opposed to, like a three-day expedition to make sure it works right like or, it'd be nice or
2: if it happened automatically
0: yeah it'd be nice I, I just don't know what that looks I like. I think it's a,
2: it's a really um, interesting idea I think it's, I'm, I'm just saying like you specify yeah, like it's a, it's a you great say idea. as the developer I'm gonna take the risk I'm gonna type in what I put in the script tag is going to be angular 2.0 point At star star right? right I'm gonna take that risk if it's a security update it's gonna happen and you know or I do two point I mean. 2.0, and as long as it doesn't break, like, if you determine that it breaks, then you say, well, you manually have to specify 2.5 to get 2.5 or above. Yeah. But I, I mean,
1: That's I don't know. No, I yeah. think it's interesting.
2: It'd be interesting to try, and then statistically from Google's perspective, like, you've got error reporting that happens in Angular. If an error reports and you get the error callback from the, uh, the report URI thing, then you could actually blacklist updates to certain sites that you Yeah get you could errors. have people that opt into like using a
1: canary build of Angular, right? Like if you're brave and we could we could give you the canary build Angular and we canary. could, I we like could it. Yeah, we could Ember does a canary thing. Just, I believe, just remember right? like, folks, you heard it here first. <laughs> I know, right? Back Oops. in twenty sixteen <laughs> <laughs> We will give you credit on the page for that. Like I think that but I think it's a really interesting idea. And I think that that idea of like can we can we give it like to ten percent or two percent of the population and see what happens, right? Like people yeah. who are brave run metrics on that. Does it work? Cool, right? We, in in the course of building Angular too, like, we do a huge amount of analysis on, like, our CI servers and, like, code size and how long it takes to run a build and why things fail and, you know, what tasks failed and all this. We we track all this stuff already. And so, like, when we get to production land, it would be really cool to see, okay, if you want to use our CLI and you opt into doing... Canary or beta, right? And we do that at Google for browsers, so why shouldn't we do it for JavaScript frameworks? Yeah. yeah. Does it break? Does it break for everybody? Let's maybe consider this a little bit more before we ship it, right? Like It's,
0: so it's interesting. Th- this kind of harks to another thing. You know, you are talking about the different builds and stuff. I think last time I talked to Brad Green, who's the project manager over Angular, he mentioned that two of the things that they've been working on, or you've been working on, I guess, are performance and code size. Yep. So can you give us kind of an update on where you are with that versus where you'd like to be? So performance, and they're actually kind of
1: nicely tied together, those two things at the moment. So one of the biggest changes in Angular 2 compared to Angular 1 is that what we'd like to get to is that when you ship your application into production. And again, this is, I'll just say this to you first, that this is not something that's required. And this is totally ES5. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. but. What we actually do with a template in Angular, and this is what we did in Angular 1, sort of, and now what we do in Angular 2, is we take that template and we effectively compile it into executable code, right? So we, like, we take a template and turn it into something that looks, and, like, this is going to haunt me if I say this, but it looks almost like like JSX, what the output from JSX is, which is, like, create an element, create a thing, set the text, whatever. Like, we we take this template and we understand it and we turn it into code.
0: So instead of markup, it's effectively a series of commands that say... Yes, modify the DOM in this yep. way.
1: And so right now we do that in the browser in Angular. 1 we do it in the browser, and we've always done it in the browser in Angular two. Right now we do that in the browser at runtime. Okay, and so you, you take this hit number one for the you have to ship this large blob of code that is the compiler, right? That has to go out to the browser to every app. And then there's a hit for startup time on actually taking this code and, you know, importing templates and compiling them and, like, so there's this overhead while this happens, right? right? And the other thing is that, like, that code to a point can only be so efficient, right? And so one of the big things that's coming down the pipeline really soon, like, in the next couple of weeks is this idea of offline template compilation. And so it means that we can take this, these templates at build time, you know, with a gulp task or with our CLI or whatever, and turn them into this executable code as a module and ship that instead of the, the string template, right? And so that allows us to, number one, not have to ship the template, the template compiler, out to a production application, which is, and I'm, this is ballparking, but this is something like 15 or 20% of the code size right now today of the Angular framework is right? this big chunk of code. So that disappears. You don't have to ship that. Uh-huh. And then you get the boost of startup time, right? Like, you don't have to pre-compile these things. They're already ready to go. Right. Which boosts performance pretty significantly. And the other thing that we look really closely at when we're generating this code, and that's effectively what we're doing is, is reading strings and generating code, is to make sure that it is highly optimized for... JavaScript VMs, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be a big performance. Use. I think that, like, across the board, we're significantly faster in almost every metric against Angular 1, uh, competitive against, and, and faster in a lot of cases than most of the other frameworks. I don't want to start, like, a, a, a war on the internet about that, right? But, like, we are very, very fast everywhere mm-hmm. at the moment. And then we you know this is before we even get into things like web workers where we can split the work up and have you know your your app run in a web worker and have rendering happen in the main thread and the boost we get from that again is is pretty incredible the other thing with code size is then like modules right like how smart can we get with modules can we do it in such a way that we can take your application Shake out all the things that you don't use, right, and really bring down your bundle size. It's okay for me to say this because this is what Igor said, is that ideally, at some point in the future, we would like that your Angular 2 Hello World application is down to 10K, right, minified. And that's audacious, I think. It's a, it's a pretty amazing yeah. goal from where we're at at the moment. But it kind of, I think it tells you about how serious we are about what we're doing. And again, a lot of this comes back to the fact that we can understand code, right? ESX modules give us the ability to statically analyze code and shake out things that you don't
0: use, right? Yeah, That makes sense. And I so- keep seeing stuff about this.
1: Rollup and, is a good example. Yeah. And there's all these tool, there's all this tooling coming up around ESX modules. Mm-hmm. I've built a couple things with Rollup and Angular 2 already. It takes a little bit of hackery at the moment. And there's a pretty noticeable difference in both code size and startup time. Right? Right. There's, this is some really, really interesting stuff coming down the pipe with that. I mean, as of today, even with the overhead of top template compilation, we're very, very fast. Mm-hmm. Code size is certainly larger than we'd like it to be at the moment. And I think that's a really big focus. And template compilation will be the first major thing that, that makes a big impact on that. Yeah. And then build tooling kind of goes along with that as well. So
2: So I do want to say I'm totally cool with having (laughs) build steps, Yep. but I'm not cool with it either. Like the the thing is, is, as somebody who's starting with JavaScript, because we want to be able to point people, because right now I still feel like if somebody's like, hey, how do I learn JavaScript? I just like give them the finger and say, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And I'd like to see a future where we say, hey, you know what, there's this framework, Angular, or XYZ, whatever, and it's super easy to get started with, and you don't have to have a degree in computer science and Linux and whatever else in order to get a web page up and run it from your house. Sure. Right, like that's kind of where I'm coming no, and from. No, I'm totally with you. Right, and then like, having like the build tools on top of it, so that when you go into production on your six billion dollar company and you want to save sixteen bytes, because over the course of a quarter that turns into seven million dollars saved, <laughs> or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, well, great, right? I, you know, actually, I
1: probably more than anything, I'm excited for browsers to implement modules, so that exactly what you're talking about can can be a thing, right? Like, I would love to have all the benefits of ES6 modules without all the, the chicanery that goes around with it, right? Like, if I could just say to somebody, like, write this file and start writing code and import it, but also import the other thing that you wrote, right? Like, mm-hmm. that to me would be a huge step forward, right? Oh, and yeah. then that that would be credible, so.
0: Yeah, where then essentially what you're saying is, it's back to your Hello World example, right? Where it's, okay, we're writing an app, and it uses module A, B, and F. And so instead of having to have the JavaScript build step that pulls in... Yep. CD and E as well. Yep. It just goes, okay, well this code said it needed A, so pull in A. This code says it needs B, pull in B. B relies on F, pull in F. Yep. And then just have it work.
1: And I, as the developer advocate whose job it is to spend a lot of time on the internet on Gitter and on, you know, on GitHub mm-hmm. stuff like that, like your thesis that modules and build tools or whatever there's a lot of friction there. Like I like I am 100% in agreement with you, right? Like well, it is people learning Angular 2 Teaching them Angular 2 is easy. Even in ES6, it's easy compared to what it takes to teach them how to configure a module loader, right? Like yeah. or set up Webpack. Or if I didn't oh. have to do that every day, it would be amazing, right? Like because I like I fully believe that Angular 2 is is very straightforward to understand. It's all the other stuff that's going on around it, right? Like that is the friction today. And I think that probably Ember is the same, and Ember has there's their CLI that solves a lot of these problems, right? I think React is the same. There's all this like there's all this other stuff you have to know before you can do what you want to do, right? I do want
0: to just uh, point out, though, that a lot of other communities have gone through that particular phase of difficulty. I think JavaScript is getting a little bit of an amplification there because there are so many different ways to write JavaScript for so many different applications. I mean, you've got Node, you've got the front-end stuff, you know, you've got the native stuff that runs on JavaScript Core or V8 or whatever the heck runs on Android. Uh, and then you've got, you know, people that are trying to do all kinds of different stuff where typically you run into these tools issues like in Ruby and most of it centered around web development. That was it. Yep. And 90% of that was Rails. And when Java went through it, it was, you know, with Spring and a couple of other frameworks. And again, it was very focused in that area because those tools weren't used everywhere. And JavaScript really does use... NPM and Webpack and a lot of these other tools in a lot of places. So uh, you know we see these problems and they will get solved.
1: Yeah, I think I think we're kind of in like our ugly adolescent phase as JavaScript, yeah.
0: right? Like and
1: this awkward, yeah. gangly kind of we need stage. to
2: make JavaScript great again. That's it. Oh, that's gosh. it. <laughs> you, you should put that on a hat. Uh, well, anyway. it, no, they've already they've already got it with that. Telemetrics has got the T-shirt. Oh, gotcha. make make net great again is what it is. <laughs>
0: But but anyway, so I, I think that's all very interesting. Just you know where we're at with that and where where we're gonna wind up.
1: I'm excited. Like I think yeah. it's, I think it's super exciting where we're going. But it is it is like. But it's real pain. There are days I uh, just like oh my god, just, I want to put a script tag in and just do it right. Like.
2: Mm. Let's just well, I, to me, we have a big problem in the world. PHP. Right? <laughs> but the reason <laughs> Never it's a, it. you I'm are so lucky. But <laughs> the reason that it's a problem is because it's also a great solution. Yeah. Right. One people Google it. And it's the th- like, how do I program a web page? And that's what comes up, right? And it's really simple. Like, there's this file. I copy it to a folder. And then I get my web server hacked and get every rootkit on it. But it also displays the information yep. that I intended to do. Yeah, it does it what display. I want it to do. It, <laughs> it does some things I don't want it to do. <laughs> yep. Right. And so if we could get JavaScript back to the point of being that simple again, where it's like, I copy a file into a folder... And if I didn't even have to change my HTML, that'd be amazing. Like, yeah. just copy one file into one folder. If somehow that could be the future, that's the future that I'm hoping for.
1: I mean, today, like, I, we showed up today, right? And I was supposed to have a demo for our little screen at our booth, and I didn't. And they were like, oh, it's cool. Just set up an Angular app, right? And I'm on a Windows computer. And I, I just, nobody uses yeah. Windows at Google, Use right? Use like, Bash now. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and I, like, I, 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 had, I had lost my tool set, right? I was yeah. like okay, I don't have a, I don't have Python installed here, so I can't start up my Python web server, right? Like, I don't have NPM installed, so I can't... Have, like, so it was like, where are my tools? Duh? And there was totally this, like, oh, crap, right? Yeah. Like, what do, I, what do I do now, right? So I'm totally with you. It was just like, can I just use the CDN? And, like, can I... No, you have to set up your build tooling. So I mean, like, you know, this morning, installing NPM at build, right, <laughs> on the conference Wi-Fi, not awesome. But so, yeah, it's a tricky thing for sure. And I, I think that we were totally cognizant on the Angular team, right? Like... We, we joke that, like, there's two people in the world who understand the system loader entirely, right? And, like, mm-hmm. it's difficult, right? And we'd like to solve it, but at the same time, we, like, we don't want to invent our own solutions, which is what we did the first time, right? Like, yeah. we don't want to do that again. We don't want to angularize it. Uh, so we have some friction there That that's, uh-huh. like... We have this this awkward stage where we don't want to invent our own solution, so we're using the bleeding edge standard solution, right? And yeah, so. but to
0: that extent, it's nice because JavaScript, as much as we complain about where we're at and the pain that we have, you don't have to anymore. No. And, and that's the cool thing. So and like n- really like how, like this is my job is to like complain about JavaScript. It's awesome,
1: right? Like it's I have yeah. the coolest job in the world, right? but, but the so. thing
0: is is since you don't have to invent those solutions anymore as an Angular team, sure, some of them are really painful to use because they're new and the problem and the solution both are not super well understood yet. True. We don't understand what all the implications are and if we solve this part of the problem, what other problems does it create? But what's really exciting about that is that we've progressed that far already. And so in another couple of years, you know, we're going to have some really dang nice tools. I'm pretty and, and excited to see where we're going to be in two that's years. That's the cool thing. That, that's sure. what's really exciting. What's funny is that, like,
1: I'm I'm sure, and I didn't use Angular in, in version 0.7 or 0.8, right? But I'm sure yeah. that, like, this happened in Angular 1, and I'm sure it happened at oh, the beginning sure. of Ember, right? But, like... This is kind of the first time a major framework like Angular has then been re- 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 rewritten in public, right? Like mm-hmm. nobody used Angular one until Angular one point one, when we'd gone right. through all these these growing pains already, right? And we sort of doing them out in the open is a very different experience. So right? that the like,
2: question is, is Angular two the new Python three thousand? Named Python three thousand because mm, it won't be adopted until the year mm, three thousand.
1: I don't think so. I, I think don't think either. So. I think that like There's everybody, everybody momentum. like I think for everybody's first reaction is that. Right? Like, ugh. No
2: argument. People are like, what? And it was funny well, to watch people today at Bill well, being like... Back to the point of versioning, I almost feel like it's better to give something a different name hmm. than to rev to version 2 or to version 3. Because there's that stigma. Sure. Like, if they didn't call it Python 3000, if they just called it Serpentine, like, <laughs> people would be it all like over it.
0: Take a page out of Apple. We should have called, called it the circular, new circular, right? The new <laughs> Angular.
1: That's the, that's the new Coke, though, and that didn't go well, so... New Coke, not good.
2: So we've been talking for what, an hour now,
0: almost? But we
2: haven't gotten to the most important part yet. Okay. Angular in Node. Do we, do we have enough time about that? Server-side Angular.
1: No, let me. there's two cool things I want to talk about then for that. Like, yes, we can do that. It's awesome. It's super, super amazing. Patrick JS has done crazy good work on that. Like, you can build an Angular app, run it in Node. Angular oh, Universal oh serves guy. it. Oh, my God. Guys are like a, a wizard. It's cool. And then we've got this other really awesome thing. And so this we've talked about, like, progressive web apps and this idea of offline web apps and super fast loading. So not only does he run it in Node and, like, serve it when it's requested and compile it, right? <laughs> he, like, last week he was helping me out and he wrote, like, gulp task in, like, 15 minutes that give it an Angular app and it pre-renders the whole thing and writes it to disk statically,
2: right? So this is the next thing that I think is going to be big in the web world. When somebody creates WordPress, but like that, yeah. where you get all the fancy features of having to be dynamic and having modules and having plugins, and then you hit the button, and then, boom, you have zero performance yep. cost, it's all That's on disk. The, I was thinking about this in the car this morning,
1: and the analogy that I've kind of come up with for this, because I, I keep explaining it to people, and I'm explaining it different ways, right? And I, I feel like what we've got in Angular 2 today, which, and, and I think that we're probably better positioned than any of the other any of their frameworks for this, right, is that you can write today an Angular app. And I think when Brad talks about it being a platform, this is what he means, right? So you can write an Angular app and not have to think too much about where it's going to run, and if you just think about, like, client versus server, right? Like, you can think about it. I, have a, I think of my brain as, like, I have a sliding dial, and I can say I want to render it 100% on the client side or 100% on the server side or anywhere in between, mm-hmm. right? Like, that, to me, is is a very powerful, flexible thing. Right. Then you can go sideways and say, actually, I want to run it 100% on the client side, render it 100% on the server side, but also, like, boot it into a web worker, right? This ability to, like, write an application... Irrespective of where it's gonna go or where you know, like I, you no longer have to think I'm writing a server-side app or a, you know a client-side app. I'm just writing an app, and I can deploy it, do whatever I like. And yeah, so yeah,
0: and I can make intelligent decisions as far as render here, render there, get behavior here, yeah. set up the behavior. You know, so you know, client server, it, it it makes a lot less difference. Yeah. Well, I mean, there there are gonna be limitations on either end, but yeah.
2: This this is a scenario I've been waiting for which I'm hoping that there's not too much real-world use case for this, but you render it on the server, deliver it to the browser, and then the framework picks up the state that was rendered on the server and resumes so that you could that's, type so that's another term into the search query, and then it would continue to filter the results. That's effectively what we can do today. Right.
0: What you're saying is, is it renders everything on the server, including any state or data or anything else, and then, yeah... When it loads it up and it and the, your browser loads up Angular or loads up whatever, it says, okay, I've, I've parsed the DOM, I've parsed all the data in the DOM, and I know what to do now. The guys at Ember
1: talked about this, and they, their thing is called fast boot, which does that. So both Ember and us, we have this ability right now to like pre-render the data on the server side, right? And effectively what we're doing, what we're both doing right now is booting it Right? and then effectively like Angular takes over and replaces the entire UI. In, in Angular's case it's pretty seamless. I think in Ember's case it's, it's also reasonably seamless, right? But we're both looking at this problem of like, okay how do we communicate the states between the two, right? Like how do we prehydrate that state and make it so we don't have to re-render that thing, right? like And the re-render is pretty much seamless but we know it's there and we, you can see it. It's perceptible, right? And so well, the, it's overhead, right? It's overhead and like the problem is you have to get into this like to solve it properly, you have to get opinionated. You have to have some way to like transfer state from server to client in a reliable way that doesn't mean pulling it out of the DOM, right? So we're we're this is something like Tom Dale talked about this on Hacker News yesterday, and I loved seeing it because he was like, we're solving the same problem and it would be super cool to collaborate and like be able to work on the same problem. And I think that this we're all gonna arrive at this problem, right? Well, but, like it how do we seems, do
2: this? It? it seems like that's something Kind of like what used to be push date, which now, I guess, is service workers or yep. transitioning over there. It it seems like that kind of thing where there maybe ought to be a standard for it. Yep. Because really what I want to do is I want to visit a web page once, and I don't ever want to hit the server completely again. Like yep. I want it to be I download the app, and now I have an evergreen app that's living in my browser. And when the scripts update, it's just going to be you know it's going to go check and say hey is this cached version good and it's going to say no and that and somehow the app's just going to magically run the yep. new version
1: we're working on that on our progressive web app stuff exactly that story you just told i think that we're not there yet. Like, I'm not going to say we've solved that problem. But like, well, it's, it needs experimentation. It's it's We would love to see people go and try it. And, like, again, like we, th- we think we know what we mm-hmm. want to do, but we're not sure how yet to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the stuff that I'm really super excited about once we get past release is, like, let's go solve those really hard problems now, right? Like, let's make that kind of stuff that, yeah, download it once, use a service worker, you know, install yeah. the app, update it, do the Delta updates. All that cool stuff is, is stuff that we would love, love to do. So,
0: yeah. So you're talking about Angular Universal here, right? well so we, we
1: this, we've naming we is hard this right like, ago, so. we've talked about Angular Angular we've, so we've got Angular like on the client side which is Angular core if you like and then there's Angular universal which is the server side rendering Right. and then we have Angular progressive as our new idea which is this like sliding dial of I want to like render the shell on the server and then like cache that in a service worker and then load the app asynchronously and da-da-da-da-da. yeah so it's kind of like progressive, universal and core the, the three kind of ideas at the moment Right. Off, we used to call it offline, but offline not interesting enough. Like It's it's progressive. It's this idea of install an app, update it Delta style, and do all that. And it uses universal. It uses the core. Like There's a, a bunch of inter,
2: intermingled pieces. I detect you're on an iPhone with a fast processor. I just send you the app. I detect yep. you on an Android with a slow processor. I render it for you.
0: Yep. That, that's another thing that I wanted to talk about, harking back a little bit to the, to the performance discussion and the payload size. You know, on, on my laptop, on wireless, yeah, big deal, right? Yep. I mean, if, if I'm on a fast enough connection, you know, fast being a perception, we can go into how you measure fast. But anyway, you know, I perceive it to be fast. You know, even if it's a larger payload because it just downloads, it just slurps it down on my connection and does it. But on mobile, it's a different animal. Yep. So what what is Angular doing to enable people to have good, high-performance, apps on mobile there are kind
1: of two metrics to this right and so the first is like first load first paint that is like the first time i ever visit your website Mm -hmm. how long does it take to get something visible on screen and then how long does it take to get interactive after that right and then second visit especially in the land of service workers as you said right like i've hit your website once i've got everything i need and i never have to go back out to the server again so, the first thing is is that, like, in any client-side framework, right, and Angular one has this th- problem, right, you're going to have a latency between, like, when the app actually, like, when the HTML renders, and then the JavaScript loads and parses and executes, and then it actually updates the UI, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I think universal is such a powerful thing, because it skips that first bit of right. latency, right? Like, we can take the initial state and render it, and it's visible instantly. And, I, like, I mean as instantly as it could possibly be.
2: So, is that... Does that tie into, because we need HTTP 2 to be able to say, here are the things that you're going to request, so I'm just going to give them to you right away. Is that tied in with that at all? Well, so the first part is, like, the rendering on the server, right, like, this is not even JavaScript involved
1: yet, right? This is literally, and in an ideal world, you would take, like, as much as you can possibly do in that first packet of, like, let's inline the critical path CSS, we call that, right? Like, the CSS I need to render the first page get it into the header of the index page, right, so that it's huh. instantly as fast as it possibly can be visible on screen. Hmm. And then stuff like HTTP2 starts kicking in for the actual application to boot up in the background, if you like, right? Perception-wise, that's the first thing, is like you render on the server or statically or dynamically and then get that out as fast as possible, first paint, perceived first paint is instant, and then boot the app, right? Right then, like, as you as I said, cache in the service worker, right? Like, keep all that so we don't have to do the latency of getting that stuff more than once, right? And I think that there's, there's probably an acceptable kind of trade-off here in terms of, like, if we can make that first experience the first time you visit the site very fast with maybe a little bit of delayed before interactivity, but then when you come back the second time, both first paint and interactivity are instant, right? And that's mm-hmm. what we'd really like to get to. So, yeah, it's, it's a balance, and that's what I kind of mean by, by that sliding scale idea, right? Like, depending on your situation, depending on what your use case is, we'd like you to be able to dial up or dial down what happens where and when and how it gets used, right? Yep. Um, and that's the flexibility, I think, is, is the, powerful, the powerful thing there because line of business apps like it Build are going to be different than, you know, news app sites are going to be different than, than Amazon, so...
0: So real quick, uh, if people want to get started with Angular 2, where do they go? What do they do?
1: I hit our website at angular.io. Uh, our documentation team has spent an inordinate amount of time giving good tutorials and documentation on there. We also have a really helpful Gitter channel at gitter.im Angular. Angular. There's a really awesome community of people in there who are really helpful and eager to help and do way better than we could ever do as a single team of 20 people. So those people are awesome and thanks. But yeah, the docs and Gitter are a really good place to start. Follow me on Twitter. Like My job is now to help developers out. So if you have questions, whatever, then feel free to tweet me at Rob Wormald, and I will get back to you.
0: All right. Finally, we've been taking just a minute. You understand PICs. Yes. So uh, we've been asking our guests that Build for PICs. Visual Studio Code and
1: uh, Service Workers for me. Service Workers are super important, and I think you should learn about them because they will make your apps awesome. They will make your apps great again.
0: All right, well, we've got a, got a couple of people to thank here real quick. Uh, first off, thank you, Rob, for coming and talking to us. You're totally welcome. Thanks for having me. I uh, also want to thank uh, Richard Campbell and Carl Franklin from .NET Rocks for inviting us out here and helping get things set up. So really appreciate them. Uh, go check out their show if you're into .NET. And uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN